Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sego, I'm John Kane, and I uh, thank you for joining us. I have a guest in studio. Uh, with me is my grandson, Talon, and I asked him to join me because we've talked about education before. So, we're going to talk a little bit more, and I'm going to ask firsthand uh, what. Talon's experience has been. He is a. Uh, you're a fifth grader. Yes. All right, and you're you're ten years old. Yes. All right, got both those right again. Um, yeah, I I figured I'd, I'd ask him a series of questions, kind of what what he what he has learned, and kind of go what they have through what they haven't learned, and so so Talon will will enlighten us a little bit, and uh, and maybe we'll all learn something about what school is teaching children, and. Uh, maybe some of the things they need to do to, to to correct it, and I do see improvement. So I do want to want to say, and this isn't a criticism of uh, of Talon's school uh, or his teachers. It is, you know, we talk, we talk about systemic problems, and when we talk about education, we know that there are systemic problems, and and part of it is because of a legacy of how subjects are taught, and uh, you know how uh, historical figures are are presented and not presented. So. Um, that's part of what we're trying to do here. So again, uh, Talon, you are, uh, you are one of my nine grandkids and I want to thank you for, for taking the time and, uh, and joining me here. Mm-hmm. I know you're kind of excited too, because you, you, you like this idea of being on YouTube, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is a, this is a, actually a podcast. So many people are going to hear the program and some will, will watch the program. So, um, well, let me get right into it. You know, one of the things that, that I asked you about were certain historical figures. But before we get there, what do they teach you when when you guys cover the issue of native people? And you said you you guys haven't really addressed it this year, right? No. But in years past, any time that they've taught about native people, have they uh, have they always talked about native people in the past, or they, do they talk about us as we live today? Past. So it's always been in the past. Yeah. So it's always about making dioramas of longhouses and um, yeah. that kind of thing. They talk about chiefs and clan mothers and that kind of thing. Yeah. But they don't mention the fact that uh, that we're still here. 
Not really. Not really. <laughs> so, which is which is kind of my point. So, when and and I've talked about this even as I've gone back to my old high school. I said you know the problem with the way Native people are um, are dealt with in history, we're dealt with as if, as if we are just a period of time that that we were there and now we're gone. So, even today, uh, in in a time where schools and teachers are a little bit more aware of things and especially living this close to the Seneca Nation because you you live in a, a, a town just north of here just off you don't live on the native territory but the school is obviously right next to Seneca Nation territory yeah and yet they still seem to neglect that we're that native people a native territory is this close mm -hmm. hmm well, and, and I guess that's, that kind of, kind of confirms that a little bit. One of the problems with history is if you only mention a people in one period of history, the assumption is that we don't exist through the rest of history. And that, you know, when I was a kid, the way they taught Indians was that we were the period that came before, before Columbus. And then somehow it goes from Indians to discovery to colonization um, and then the colonies fight for independence. And where we fit into all of that stuff is never really talked about. So, which kind of brings me to the next subject, which is, um, what about historical figures like, like George Washington? You know, what did they, what did they teach you or tell you about George Washington? That he was like the father of the country and he was the first president. Uh, did they talk about him being a general? No. Really? So they, they don't even really address the role that he played in terms of not just, uh, you know, being the first president of the United States, but uh, they don't address his role in the Revolutionary War so much? Well, I've heard about him in the Revolutionary War. But they never talk about um, his aggression towards Native people? No. Now, we live in Seneca Territory, and um, some of the, the victims of much of George Washington's aggression were the Senecas. And in fact, the Seneca's territories would be raided by orders that came from George Washington to, uh, to General Sullivan, where he, he wanted the, the Senecas to know the terror of their chastisement, which means that, you know, um, how they would be punished, so to speak. But they, they never mentioned that in school, I suspect. No. No. Well, and, and this kind of gets to, gets to the point that when historical figures are spoken of, and they, they always tell the upside, they always tell the positive side. They don't necessarily say, yeah, but there were, there were other parts of their character that may not have been as pleasant. Thomas Jefferson, for instance. What do you know about Thomas Jefferson? That he was a president and he's on Mount Rushmore. Right, okay. That, did they tell you that he was involved with the Louisiana Purchase? Do you are you familiar with that at all? Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Kind of. Now, did they ever tell you that he was a slaveholder? No. So they never mentioned that that George Washington or Thomas Jefferson had slaves. No. No. And in fact, Thomas Jefferson, um, by many accounts, was a um, was a very well-established slaveholder. There have been recent revelations about how accurate he was with his accounting for slaves. And he knew just how little he could feed them and still make them productive uh, to work his fields. 
And obviously that never gets mentioned. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Well, and the other thing that, that Thomas Jefferson, you know, from a native standpoint, he was um, the president who was involved with purchasing what they called the Louisiana Purchase, which is, and, he, and they said that he purchased it from the, from the French. Well, the French claimed uh, title from the, Spain, from the Spanish, and of course they all claimed title from native people. And what Thomas Jefferson's plan was, was to buy this land because then he could push all of the native people on the East Coast past uh, west of the Mississippi. Which, so in a way, it was Thomas Jefferson that would begin the process for the removal period of, of native people. And what, did, you ever, did you ever hear of the Trail of Tears? Are, are you familiar with that? See, they've never, they've never even talked about the Trail of Tears. Is it like a thing that goes across the map? No, no. The Trail of Tears is when, um, during Andrew Jackson, another president, you know, he's on, I think, what is he? Is he on the 20? Yeah, he's on the, he's on the $20 bill. Um, he's the, uh, the president who um, forced the removal of Native people to these other territories, or to these, well, actually, to, to other Native territories, forced them west of the Mississippi, and in doing so, they call it the Trail of Tears because many people died on these forced marches. Sometimes as much as for the Cherokee, they said a third of the population died because they had to walk from Georgia in, in, in the southern states to Oklahoma. But that, the groundwork for all that was laid by Thomas Jefferson because that's the way he pitched the Louisiana Purchase to the southern states. He assured them that if they supported this purchase of the, this land title from, uh, from the French, that that would be a way to dispose of native people, just to push them over there. So, okay, well, let's uh, uh, another famous president, and uh, you mentioned Mount Rushmore, um, Abraham Lincoln. Now, what do you? What were you taught about Abraham Lincoln? He was one of the presidents, and speak up. He was one of the presidents, and that's it. What about freed the slaves? Freed the slaves, yes. Uh, assassinated. Assassinated, yes. Okay, so you, those basic things. You know, he was one of the presidents. Um, he was tall, wore a funny <laughs> hat. Yeah, yeah they, they always teach you that. But what they don't teach you about his Emancipation Proclamation is that that came only about a week after one of the largest executions, which was a, a public hanging, of Native people that he signed the order for. So, again, as they say all these great things about Washington or Jefferson or, or Lincoln, they leave out the parts that are not so nice. And, and let's be honest. I mean, we all have um, parts of our personality that are, you know, we all think we're very nice people, right? We all think, we always think highly of ourselves, yeah. but we also know that we can be, yeah, we can be jerks sometimes. <laughs> but if we're only taught that these historical figures are only these heroes and that they never had any flaws in their character, that's not very accurate. And from a native standpoint, there, we actually have a word for the president of the United States. In, in, in Mohawk, we say, Randa de Gallas, and it means town destroyer. And that comes from that Sullivan campaign that I talked about that, uh, that George Washington ordered. So, um, so what we've learned is that each president has played a role in trying to do some, you know, at, at some level, destroy our communities or, or some um, part of our lives. And so that word Ronda the Gaius didn't just get associated with George Washington. It would be a word that we would, uh, we would actually call all presidents. Uh, you know, there was actually some confusion because some people thought that the word meant president, but it doesn't, it means town destroyer. We just applied that word or that name to the office of the, uh, of the U S presidency.
So this is, you know, again, you kind of confirm a little bit of what, what I've talked about uh, a lot on this program, which is the need to, 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 to teach more about, what, about who we are as Native people, not just who we were. You know, because that's that's part of that's part of the problem. Look, we just went through this um, this election cycle, and I know they uh, you know, they asked all you kids uh, you know about who you wanted to vote for uh, vote for president, didn't they? Don't they sometimes do a mock election right in your classrooms? They I know in the that, past they have. They did that a few years ago for like Trump, but I wasn't in school at the time because the oh, school you heard thought, about it? Okay. Yeah, like the school thought I had COVID. Oh, you mean this year? Yeah, let's oh, right. you were out. Yeah, there was. Yeah, you're, you're right. You guys had to quarantine for a little while, right? so you missed that. But that ends up being a conversation. Do they do they actually teach you about what each of these candidates represent, or do they just ask you which one you like? Well, they just it's like a little paper you get to fill in the bubble. So you, <laughs> so they don't even talk about who what what they're what they represent. Just no. you just pick one. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so you're, you're pretty much relying on what you either hear on TV, radio, or maybe what you hear at home, right? Like, yeah, at school, um, the one year when Trump was getting elected, everybody at school was yelling in my face, Trump, 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 Trump. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> oh, so you actually, you actually felt the pressure, so when you, uh, when you were actually filling this out four years ago, you actually wrote, you actually wrote, uh, selected Trump? Yes. <laughs> Do you feel guilty for that now? <laughs> 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 but now I know that you you guys were having a lot of debates about this this year, and I know that some of your friends were very much Trumpers, and some of them were you know very much in the Biden camp. Um, I found two other people at school who who like Biden. Oh, two really? other people, everybody goes Trump, 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 Trump. Well, and, and obviously you see flags all over the place. Yeah. Let me ask you another question, and and I know you you and I've talked about this, um, the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Now, you were taught to say this in school, right? Yes. And do you remember when? Was it kindergarten? Kindergarten's when I started, yeah. Yeah, so in kindergarten, they taught you to, um, to pledge allegiance to the flag. Now, did you think you had to say it? I thought I had to say it or else I'd get in trouble. So you thought that if you didn't say it, they'd ask you, that, that they what, they'd ask you to leave class? Yeah. And when did you learn you didn't have to say it? Like, just a few months ago. And who'd you learn that from? Dad. So your dad taught you that? Yeah. Well, I'm proud because I taught him that. Uh, so, <laughs> so your dad told you that you don't have to say it. Now, did he say tell you not to say it, or he said you don't have to say it? He said I don't have to, but the reason he said that is because I was doing the announcements one day. Oh. And so, so did you have to do the, do the Pledge of Allegiance on the announcement? I didn't have to do it. I, because it cuts off when you go, I pledge allegiance to the flag, and then I just stop. I wouldn't say anything. I just look at So all I would say, I pledge allegiance to the flag. Okay. But, but I didn't so, really mean it. <laughs> so, okay, now that you said that, do you know what the Pledge of Allegiance means? Not really. So when they taught you those words to say, they never explained to you what any of that stuff meant? No, I really, I thought they just made us say it because it was catchy. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of catchy. Yeah, well, you know, it's, it's funny because it's really one of the first things that that kids learn to repeat or to recite. The other one, uh, when I was a little kid, they also taught you you had to learn the words to the Star Spangled Banner. Have you, did you guys have to do that one too? 
Yeah. So you had to remember those words. It, I had to remember those words, and my whole class had to turn around from a screen that would say the words and do the lyrics and sing the song, and then we had to sing it. Wow. And uh, now, <laughs> so so this ends up being you. Know, this was basically an assignment then to remember yeah. to remember these things. Wow. So I mean, clearly they they don't explain that you that you have options here. That that, that if if you don't necessarily subscribe to the notion of pledging allegiance to the flag, and you know, and and again, you have native ancestry, and if you look at the history, we have every we have a lot of good reasons for not wanting to pledge to the American flag and to the republic for which it stands. But the idea that, that you, that this many years into you being asked to do this, if not required, but being asked to do this, nobody's taken the time to, say, to break it down to explain what that really is. Because if you think about it, you're asking children to make some, a pledge. That's almost like asking you to sign a contract, which is obviously illegal, but, um, uh, or, or I don't know if it's illegal, but it's not right anyway. But the idea that that schools feel like it's it's appropriate to ask children to recite something and make a public pledge in front of you know, you know, there's there's even the whole one nation under God thing, which not everybody believes in. You. In fact, you just learned that in school too, right? Well, <laughs> I haven't believed in God for a while. But but you learned you always assumed everybody else did, and that you yeah. were that perhaps you were. Different than ever because you didn't have the same beliefs that they did. Mm -hmm. And now you, you just were telling me earlier that you learned that some other people said, no, nah, I don't really believe that stuff either. Yeah, I was talking to my lunch lady there. Oh, the I don't want to get anybody in trouble. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no. <laughs> so, I mean, because that's, that's part of the Pledge of Allegiance. You know, when they first wrote that, that wasn't in there. They added it later because I think people felt like it, it needed to have that in there, I guess. But... um but it's, it's interesting that you're 10 years old. For five years, you have had some level of, if not direction or encouragement, what you thought was a requirement to say something that they never thought to, to explain to you what it is. You know, because another, the thing is, I know that the United States looked at other countries who um, would have programs to indoctrinate their children to a certain belief system. They'd always con condemn it. They, you know, they, you know the, the most you know familiar uh, example is is uh, Nazi Germany. They would say, "Oh, look at what they, look what they do to those children. They make those children say this. They make these children salute. They make these children do." This. I'm thinking, but you do the same thing, and yeah. essentially what they that's what they've done with the with the Pledge of Allegiance. Yeah. Now. When you learned that you didn't have to say it anymore because your, your, your dad let you know that, um, did it become a conversation in school? Well, the first time I did it, my teacher like called me over there and she's like, hey, how come you didn't do the pledge? And I said, well, because just lately, um, I figured I don't have to do it because I don't have those beliefs. And he was your teacher, was it a, a woman or a man? Woman. And she was okay with that? Yeah. Okay, but she did feel like she had to ask you, though. She had to. She had to, like, in a way, she had to call you out on it. Yeah, I, I don't remember if it was at in in person school or like on the computer. Oh, okay. All right, but but it just just goes to show you that um, that it's that it's that recent. It's been since a lot of this COVID outbreak, and uh, and of course you're spending more time at home. So uh, you know, I think the the whole idea of being around your your parents more. This may have encouraged, you know, some of these conversations even at home, I would suspect. 
All right. The last one I got to ask you about, and especially since it's that time of year, is Thanksgiving. Now, have you all, how have they approached teaching you about Thanksgiving in school? Other years, they've just talked about pilgrims and stuff like that. Pilgrims and Indians. Pilgrims and, yeah. So, happy little pilgrims and happy little Indians. Yeah. Uh, having dinner together. Yeah. And is that the way they have um, kind of expressed the first Thanksgiving? That it was that it was just this you know celebration between two different cultures. Is that the way they they kind of approached it? Yeah. And did you guys do like little paper cutouts, a little pilgrim and little Indian yes. cutouts, and you know construction paper and all that stuff? Did you make headdresses and turkeys and? Pilgrim hats and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought. Now um, you're getting older, so now teachers, because they're most of the time the schools view this as as some level of age appropriateness on on what other parts of the story they can tell. Now, is it true that your teacher now are saying that that's not necessarily the approach that she wants to take to talking about Thanksgiving? Yes, she told me that. that that's not the way she will teach it. Really? So so she's actually made a commitment to you that the whole Happy Little Pilgrims, Happy Little Indians thing is not necessarily the way she's going to uh, approach Thanksgiving uh, uh, in, in the way that she teaches. Yeah. Okay. Now, for the record, the first documented or declared Thanksgiving by the colonists was not about Happy Little Pilgrims and Happy Little Indians. It was about bloodshed. It was about um, the, the the pilgrims, the the non-native or the you know, the non-native colonies, basically waging a war uh, against the uh, Wampanoag, where they they killed, you know, uh, slaughtered many native people, men, women, and children. And in fact, the one that they regarded as the as the leader, they decapitated him, they stuck his head on a pole, and they put it at the edge of town. And then they made an announcement that they proclaimed this day to be a, a national day or their their thanksgiving a thanksgiving celebration of their of their conquest of the wampanoag not at all the way that's ever been taught to you in school no i've never heard of that before you never heard that story before well and but it's interesting because you you did say your teacher asked you if you celebrated thanksgiving and when you said you just eat um she wondered if you did because of your native background right Yes. So she she literally said, "Well, I wasn't sure because you're native." Yeah. Something along those lines. Well, it's interesting that you know, and and I'm I'm proud that you're that you 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 do have teachers that are willing to acknowledge that, and it is interesting that you have teachers that are now getting to that place where they're willing to rethink how they address some of these issues because the the you know the problem is that these things have been misrepresented for you know for a long long time now thanksgiving as a holiday was only declared a national holiday you know for, you know for you know 150 150 years ago or so i think abraham lincoln was the first president to declare it. so it wasn't it wasn't you know always a holiday but from a native standpoint we actually have you know, at minimum 13 thanksgivings that are, are part of you know our our culture four major ones and there's and they're scattered out throughout the year uh the the thanksgiving that we would give during this time of year the harvest thanksgiving 
is, is something that actually many cultures have had this kind of thing, especially after they take in all of their crops and that kind of stuff, and they've, and they've got their food prepared for the winter. They, they give an acknowledgement. The difference is Native people are not necessarily thanking God. They're, they are thanking the earth for providing, you know, helping them to provide them yeah. for themselves. And they're thanking each other. It's an acknowledgement. It's a celebration to, to celebrate each other. And, uh, but it's not necessarily a religious holiday. And of course, in the United States, it's not really considered a religious holiday, but a lot of people, you know, kind of turn it into that. And they, th and they believe that if they're, if, in order to give thanks, you, there's only one, one thing to thank, and that's to thank God. And, um, and yet there's a lot in the world that we need to be thankful for. And it's not just enough to be thankful. We, we need to be responsible. We need to do more that you know, all that we can to to give something back to the to the earth that provides us that's what the native kind of view of thanksgivings are in all of them you know throughout the year so whether it's we're celebrating the maple sugar you know or planting or strawberries or green corn or harvest or midwinters or any of these you know uh, you know these periods of throughout the year that we have these these ceremonies or these festivals they are all essentially thanksgivings and we're just thanking what the earth is providing at that time of the year. So, well, it's, it's uh, again, I think it's great that you, um, you wanted to come join me. I, I know that you're, are you excited? Are, are some of your classmates and your teachers probably going to check out your, your, your my, appearance here? Yeah, I did tell some of my friends. Some of them said they're, oh, my mom's probably not going to let me watch it. But <laughs> well, I, I think, I think this is pretty safe programming. I think everybody should feel pretty comfortable, but, mm. uh, you know, um, I, I looked it up on my school computer and it says this, I looked, I went on YouTube, tried to get to one of your videos and it said this video is not, um, like good for your computer. Oh, you know, but th that's usually has more to do, um, only because they don't have, what, what do they call it? Uh, um, uh, it might not be virus protected or something like that, but if, if you got it from YouTube, it's, uh. YouTube's probably pretty safe, so most computers will not flag uh, any kind of, you know, uh, YouTube video as unsafe for your computer. So, but anyway, uh, we don't need to belabor that point. But um, no, I think it's it's great that you you joined me. I'm I'm hoping that uh, that your your classmates and your and your teachers will will maybe take something away from this, and uh, you know, maybe 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 in a couple of years we'll bring you back and we'll see if if anything's changed in the way in the way they're they're teaching you some of these subjects. Okay. Well, I want to thank you. I want to thank you so much for, for joining me. My grandson, Talon, uh, Kane. Uh, <laughs> and uh, again, I want, to, I want to thank him for, for giving us some of his time and, and sharing some of his insight on what it's like to be taught um, a, only kind of one side of the, of the historical equation, so to speak. So, all right. Thank you very much for, for joining me. All right. Oh, you don't... <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're gonna take a we're, we're gonna take a break. And then we, we can usher you off stage here during the during our break time. This is John Kane. This, this is Let's Talk Native with my grandson. We'll be right back in a few minutes. Thanks.
right. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. I want to thank again my grandson, Talon, for joining me for the first half of the program. It, um, it's kind of enlightening. And, and, you know, I talk a lot about on the show about what I assume takes place in school. So to be able to talk to a, a 10-year-old about his experience in everything from the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag to, to what they're taught in history or, you know, or, or, or about things like Thanksgiving, it's, it is insightful. And, you know, as I've mentioned a few times on, on the last couple of shows, I did go out to my old high school. And it is, it is it, you know, it's kind of like taking a, taking a step in time to go back to the school that you graduated from back in 1978 it, it is it's really strange not only do i get a chance to, to see some friends that i haven't seen in a long time but just to revisit the issue like the, the mascot issue and i've gotten a lot of feedback from that uh, not only did i do i have a uh, change.org petition out there that's you know close to a thousand signatures on it um but i know the 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 superintendent at Cambridge has been getting a, a bunch of letters from different people. I've had classmates, some of my classmates who've gone on to be um, various professionals in various areas, including you know, medicine. And, um, you know, one of my friends is a, is a professor, a history professor. Um, some folks that are involved in the activist community have stepped up. Um, uh, my friend <laughs> Chuck Rinaldi here, uh, who was a former superintendent in, at Gowanda, uh, submitted a letter. I, and, and I'm glad to get that kind of feedback because I think it is really difficult. And, I, and we've seen this in other towns like Lancaster, where you have a, a population that is very is undiverse a word. I, they're not very diverse, very, very white. Um, I think Lancaster was like 98% um, white by, by race. Cambridge is over 97. So you know that you don't have a lot of diversity within the town. And you also don't see a lot of people who leave and, uh, and come back. <clears throat> so if you leave and, you know, and all of a sudden you realize that there's a much bigger world out there and you don't bring any of that awareness back to your hometown, the town kind of stays the same. And when I spoke at the at, at the board meeting uh, last week, it was it was interesting because there was this this um, uh, a certain part of the the community that did leave and came back, or, or people who didn't necessarily grow up there but live there now, and can acknowledge the inappropriateness of of, of a native or race based mascot. But you also end up with with a with people who get entrenched in the way that they've always been taught, which is part of the reason I wanted to do the first part of this show the way I did. But you have people that, that basically peak in high school and it's like the best part of their lives were, was playing on the football team or the basketball team or, you know, or, or lacrosse team or, or whatever it is that you did, you know, or perhaps there was some other aspect, whether it was band or theater or, or whatever, you know, whatever, part of your your high school experience made it memorable many times people can rely on that as the best times of the year of their best times of their life which isn't a terrible thing i mean it's not it's, a, it's not a terrible thing to have enjoyed your high school it is you know a little bit you know sad that that you don't have as much to to shape your identity after that especially if you're 40 or 50 or 60 or older if you're still clinging on to your high school memories um 
that's probably not real healthy, you know, from a mental health standpoint. And if the only way that you can cling on to that is to cling on to the mascot, and, and I've talked about this before, I think only the use of native people as mascots, whatever the word is, whether it's Indians, Redskins, Red Raiders, whatever it is, I think this might be um, the a bit of an exception because I don't, I never heard people talk about being a panther 50 years old you know, or an eagle, you know, or a cougar. Well, maybe cougars, but that's a whole other issue. But uh, um, <laughs> I've never seen people hang on to an identity the way, especially non-native people will cling on to being um, an Indian or a redskin. And you see that, you know, even in with, with pro sports and that kind of stuff, it's like that identity, like they, they, they try to become that thing, which, and that thing is not, it's not accurate. It's a stereotype. And, and oftentimes it's not even an accurate stereotype. If there is such a thing as an accurate stereotype, these are inventions. So this is, this is part of the challenge. Um, and, you know, and when you have a school that has for decades or maybe even the better part of a century called themselves Indians, you would think that that school would, would commit themselves to teaching about that subject a little bit. I mean, you're, you're teaching your kids to emulate, you know, an image, a logo, a profile or whatever, a caricature, but you're not giving the time to teach about, well, who are the native people that were from there? I mean, and that area that I'm talking about, which is, you know, Cambridge, New York, that essentially was, was Mohawk territory. You know, we can argue whether it was Mohican or and Mohawk or whatever, but, but clearly the names of many of the towns and the rivers around there are, are, are Mohawk words, Sakandaga, Schenectady. You know, these are these are words that that are, you know, usually some somewhat bastardized, but they're they are they are words that that come from uh, uh, the Mohawk language, uh, Adirondack, Adirondack. These are words that that are a part of of our culture, and yet most of, even in this school, they don't even teach where the words come from. You know, the names of the rivers, uh, Wolumsak. I mean, none of these, all these words and all these names and rivers and streets and, and even little towns, they don't, they, they never make the connection. So when you take on this, this made up identity, this made up imagery of, of, an, of some sort of native reference and call that, you know, and then you want to claim it. And I, and I listen, I listen to not just, I listen to white people and a few native people from Cambridge say, well, I'm a Cambridge Indian. Really? I thought you were on a Daga. Oh, really? I thought you were Oneida. And then, then you, then you see a white guy stand up and say, well, I'm a Cambridge Indian until the day I die. I'm thinking, really? That's, that's at 67 years old, you're still clinging to that as your identity and shame on you. If you're, if you are native, if you are more drawn to to a mascot as your identity than your <laughs> then what whatever connection or or lack of connection you have to your ancestry, you have all that available to you. Look, if you're on a daga, you can learn about being on a daga. If you're Oneida, you can learn about being Oneida or Mohawk. You might even learn that those words have <laughs> been bastardized. Gunyagahaga, Onyotaaga, Onundaaga. I mean, these are, we, we could learn some of these things and, and take something of value from that, but to, but to reduce yourself to a misnomer like Indians and to claim that that's what you are. I mean, regardless of whether you're, whether you're white or not white, 
just the idea that this is this is what some people settle into and then can be pretty aggressive about defending it trust me going out to my my old high school even though i went to school there from third grade to until i graduated you know i was clearly treated as an outsider coming in there to take something away from from that community and and i was glad that i had a fair amount of support from other voices there some people who are more socially conscious people who know that when they've when they've worn their cambridge indian swag to you know to another region people say really you guys still use those you know and and you think that's appropriate so there are there are students that have left cambridge that were embarrassed because they didn't know they didn't know that it was inappropriate why and of course how would they know when you've got an entire school that is is promoting this thing and encouraging this kind of uh, this kind of thing it's um you know it, it you end up you know for all intents and purposes you end up end up damaging students and and that's really the point because it doesn't matter if i'm offended i mean I, I don't live there right and i don't live there and i don't have to deal with cambridge indians on a daily basis and it really doesn't matter if you're 65 years old and, and you still are clinging to this idea of being a cambridge indian because it's not about you either what it's about is the kids and, and that's why i was grateful to have my grandson join me here it's important that that our children have a deeper understanding about the world around them and some of that starts with the way history is taught but it's also look in in school they don't call it um, history anymore specifically they call it social studies or they call it global studies well how do you teach about global studies and then have this narrow view about stereotyping or this narrow view about um uh appropriating somebody else's culture for yourselves and and again native people are very um it, it's a very singular uh practice to grab native culture you don't see any other cultures that, you used to see a little of it i mean honestly you used to see a little of it there used to be i i I'm, it's like the what's that organization they call them the shriners right i mean there, there's these organizations that had like these this middle east connection but that become unfashionable, so they so they ditched it all. I mean, they used to, um, you know, call, some teams call themselves crusaders, you know, which is really tied to this idea of you know um, promoting Christianity via the sword. Most of that stuff's gone gone you know away. Um, you know, you know, people always bring up you know the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Well, that's you know, it's, their mascot's a leprechaun. I mean, it, they're not real. Um, so you know, that's that's something a little different. But Native people, there are still probably close to 2,000 schools in the United States that rely on Native imagery, some reference, if not a word. And look, it can range from everything from Redskins to Red Raiders to Warriors, Savages, Indians, or the individual names, Mohawks, Oneidas, uh, Navajo, Sioux, Fighting Sioux. I mean... Um, you know, Florida State Seminoles. <clears throat> so they use native peoples. And oftentimes the words that they're using to uh, th the names of the tribes are, they are inappropriate. I mean, like I said, the word Indians. You know, Seneca Nation's dropping the word Indians from their name. They're not, the, they used to be for years called Seneca Nation of Indians. Now they're pretty much taking that away. In fact, they've moved, they've moved not only away from Seneca Nation of Indians, to Seneca Nation, but they're actually moving more towards Onondaga, their own word for who they are. I, the big debate that that's gone out 
uh, out west is is uh, for for the Lakota, Nakota, and Dakota is the word the use of the word Sioux because that's an inappropriate name. That word isn't what they call themselves. It's what others call themselves, and and that's the same thing that goes for for Gunyagahaga or what most people know as Mohawks. By some you know uh, breakdown of the etymology of that word. It was meant to, you know, to suggest some sort of cannibalism or eaters of uh, of flesh, and it's you know it's not what we called ourselves, and and this is the part that's so twisted about it, you know, when when a dominant culture coins these phrases or expressions, they end up sticking. So we end up using words like Indians or tribes, and and again, I talked about it a great deal on the show. The word tribe is not a compliment. And you only have to listen to how the talking heads on the news use words like tribe, tribalism, you know, or any of that stuff, or tribal. When they talk about the tribal regions of Afghanistan, they aren't talking about the, the, the civilized, sophisticated parts of Afghanistan. So when, you, so when words like that, we begin to use them ourselves, and, and, and it's worse than that because it's not only the words that we use. I, I've talked about this on the show before. There have been periods of, of our history and of, I guess, if we were to call our own part of our history, the Reconstruction period, where we started reconstructing our past by learning more about it. We were wearing planes Indian headdresses for a while. Why? Because that's the way we were depicted on, on the movies. It, it didn't make any sense. We weren't wearing gustoas. I've seen pictures of, of native people in the 50s and the 60s, Haudenosaunee, Mohawks, Onondagas, I mean, wearing, wearing these long headdresses. It doesn't make any sense. But it kind of shows you what, what a dominant culture does when it beats you down in terms of how they are defining you. And pretty soon you're, you're, you're calling yourselves what they call you. And, and even, even words like, like redskin. Part of the reason that there still are some Native people who were okay with that word was because, frankly, there was so very little in the dominant society around us that the people could cling to or, or take, have any identity to. They jumped at the opportunity to, to, be, to wear a Cleveland Indians hat with that stupid cartoon image on the front of it. Or a, you know, and frankly, I, I can't stand the Blackhawks jersey either. You know, this... this strange smile on the side of you know uh, uh, you know uh, profile but we cl- we cling to that stuff the, the you know the Atlanta Braves the, the Washington Redskins and you know for for my age group as we got older and we said you know that's really not appropriate especially when they start parading either native people and yes they did this with native people or white people dressed up as native people to do to dance on their football field or their basketball court or something like that. That, that seemed like a real mockery. And even when they bring brought in native people to do it, it seemed like a sellout. It seemed, you know, this, it it was, it was something that, that really struck a bad note. So, you know, there, we have an opportunity in this age of information to learn so much more. And, and again, we've learned a lot more. We've used technology to, to reinvigorate our language and our language programs. We know what, what to call ourselves. You know, we, we don't call ourselves Indians. We call ourselves Ungwe Ungwe. We call her, and we don't call ourselves Iroquois. We call ourselves Haudenosaunee or Rudenosaunee. We, we don't call ourselves any of these words that have been pinned upon us. Tribes. Tribal organizations. 
you know, uh, you've heard me talk about you know my my concern about people referring to themselves as enrolled members or or even citizens of you know a Mohawk nation, if you will. No, it's it's just enough to say that you're Gunyagahaga. Enough to say that you're Seneca. You don't have to reduce yourself to a member of an organization, because in all of our um, the translations of our words. So when we say Gunyagahaga, it's the people of the land of Flint. It's the people of the land of the mountains, Onundawaga, what people know as Senecas. It's the people of the land where the stones stand up, Onyotaaga, what you know as Oneida. It's always the people. It's not the nation. It's not the citizens. All of those words, they have some political connotation to them. So when people ask me, well, how do you describe yourself? Do you, how do you feel about Native American? Don't like it. How do you feel about American Indian? Really don't like it. I'll use the word native singularly because it's a benign word. It doesn't have as much, you know, political connotation to it. But I would rather use a word in my language. But I realize that even when I tell somebody that I'm Gunyagahaga, I know that I got to explain it. I got to say, well, you know, it is Mohawk. Someday we don't have to do that anymore. And so we look at this period of time as a transition. It's a transition in all time for not only us to um, to shed away some of that, that, that those colonial influences, but but almost to re-indoctrinate ourselves to our own culture. And in doing so, we share that with other people. So I think that's what's so important about the, the times that we're living in. And look, I know it's we can always look at where we're at and think it's, uh, things are terrible from a native standpoint. We've had worse. We've had worse times. And now, uh, and it, you know, it gets me to the, to this whole idea when, when, when I hear people say, well, you know, we just need to be peaceful and prayerful people. Well, I'm sorry. It never worked. And you know, this idea of being peaceful and prayerful, you know, I'm not saying, you know, armed resistance has worked out great either, <laughs> but at least by, by resisting, by putting up resistance, we, we set an example to our kids and to our grandkids that, look, there, there's something worth fighting for. And that fight may not be, you know, knock down drag outs in the street, but it might be a debate. It might be a conversation. It may be standing up against a pipeline. It might be standing up against, you know, a mascot. You know, it might be, you know, whatever it is, it may be standing up for our people, protecting our children or the missing and murdered indigenous women issue, whatever that is. There's a reason for standing up. And no, it's not about being weak. And when I hear people say, oh, you're just, you're just too sensitive. No, I'm not, I'm not too sensitive. It's not about being offended. It's about feeling empowered to, to stand up to some of this stuff. So whether I'm going to my old high school or whether I'm, you know, dealing with something in the city of Buffalo or, or in Washington D.C. or Albany, it's I'm not I'm not protesting out of weakness. I'm empowered, and I want each of our generations to be empowered. Look, I, I do want to spend a few minutes um, also talking about where we're at right now um, with the, the pandemic, and you know I think it's easy for us to always view it as something that's that's not quite affecting us you know of course if you've lost a loved one or somebody close to you has been sick you you understand the the seriousness of it unfortunately i've listened to some people who as they hear you know even as they've seen people get sick 
you know, the, the, see the president of the United States, well, he survived it. It must not be that big a deal. I've, I've listened to, you know, to governors, um, including the New York state governor, uh, address this thing. And, and look, some people will praise him. Some people will, will condemn him. Uh, I don't feel, have, you know, a, a great feeling towards, uh, towards Andrew Cuomo, but when he was kind of calling out Western New York, this area around us here, you know, especially Erie County for having the worst numbers. I listened to, to some other people on the right, you know, take such offense to it. And, and look, I hate to say it, but even how we deal with um, this COVID-19 pan pandemic, it, the lines separate right along political lines. If you're a Trump follower, if you are somebody on the right, there's a good chance that you don't think very strongly about wearing a mask. And, you know, I listened to one of these Western New York politicians say, well, every time I go someplace, I see people safe, uh, practicing safe distance and wearing a mask. It's funny because every place I go, I see somebody dropping that mask below their nose. And, you know, if you wear a mask below your nose, you might just as well not be wearing it because we breathe through our nose. If you breathe through your mouth, you got some other issues going on. <laughs> If you, if you have to breathe through your mouth because you can't breathe through your nose, you probably should be staying home anyway because you probably have some sort of uh, underlying condition. So, and I'm not even getting into the whole mouth breather, <laughs> your derogatory expressions or whatever. I'm not even going there. But if you wear that mask below your nose, you are exhaling droplets of whatever is in your lungs. Whether you're, you're positive or, or negative, you know, that's what you're doing. And, so you're, and you're exposing yourself. So when I hear people, especially the, the people on the right who want to claim, well, we're, we're right to life believers. We, we, we um, abhor uh, abortion. But you don't think you should wear a mask to protect life? And it's not about, look, whatever risk you place on yourself, I have no sympathy. I, and, I'm, and I mean this. I know some people say, oh, I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. Well, I wish I could say that. I get, no, I don't wish I could say that. There's some people I wish would get sick. Because the amount of pain and suffering some people have caused uh, other people is, uh, you know, is it, it deserves some payback. I'm just going to say it. But if, but if you are not practicing any of the safe practices and you get sick, I have no sympathy for you. But the problem is it isn't about you. It's about who you get sick. It's about taking it home to your loved ones, to your parents, your grandparents, or, or your children. Or people that you may not feel very strongly. Maybe it's your neighbor or whoever. That's the problem. And the fact that this cuts along political lines, it just kind of shows you the level of ignorance and the level of influence that a guy like Donald Trump has on, on people's common sense. I mean, I'll never understand how it is that 73 million, 9 million more this time than the last time voted for, for that moron that sits in the White House still. I, I, I don't have any idea how that happens. But... The fact that so many people do support him and then want to be dismissive about something that is really, really deadly. I mean, look, the numbers are clear. Today, the, um, you know, or actually, uh, yes, let me think, which days are we on here? There, by last night and by tonight, the likelihood is there may be 200,000 new cases for uh, for yesterday and today. Clearly, they've already reached that peak of, of, of over 2,000 deaths in a single day. And 
it might go down on Sunday and Monday as all of the reporting, you know, kind of gets underreported during those days. But this is getting worse. And, you know, and I, and I hear people complaining that they're, that their pool hall is shut down or that they're, you know, that they, that they can't eat in a restaurant. You know, this thing could have been nipped in the bud early on if, if people had really locked down, but what Americans view as their, as their freedom can be so detrimental to the freedom of other people. They don't ever consider the fact that when you talk about freedom, it can't come at the expense of other people. Otherwise, it's not freedom. It's abuse. It's neglect. It's irresponsibility. So as, and I, I just feel like I've got to say this because it is, it is getting so bad. And, and I think we do need to be concerned. You know, I, and I know there's, you know, people that are, you know, pissing and moaning about, uh, about celebrating Thanksgiving next, next week. Well, how the hell can you gather families and even extended families together knowing that the whole purpose is supposed to give thanks when you're, what you might be giving is, uh, is infection. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is just common sense. If people stop pissing and moaning about some of this stuff and be responsible, we'd, we'd stop seeing the spread. If you're sick, especially if you feel any symptoms, even something that might be remotely associated with COVID-19, then stay home for crying out loud. You've got no reason. Look, in the, in, the, in the beginning, uh, in, the, in the spring when this was being addressed, you would never see anybody in a store with a bunch of kids in tow. We didn't bring our kids. And I, I'm going to tell you, you can't go to a store and not see, you know, an elder, elderly couple in, uh, in a Walmart, you know, or, or some parent with, you know, with their kids tucked in, into their shopping cart. Man, we got to figure out better ways of, of, of doing this. So we aren't exposing elderly and children and, and dragging them around in, into public spaces where you're not going to have social distancing. And, and I, I got to say this again, too. All of the all the masks do are prevent droplets. They do not prevent the aerosolized virus. Those viruses are small. They can actually penetrate a mask. The only thing the mask can stop are droplets. So. While it may be true that many of these droplets are, are what's carrying some of it, it it's been established and well-established that, that some of this stuff is aerosolized. So it's airborne. Beyond the, the moist droplets coming from your breath, it's, it's aerosolized. So, look, we just have to be more responsible. You know, and, and so consider this last part of the program, my public service announcement. But it's really just a, a plea for people to have a little more common sense and do the right thing. You don't have to celebrate every you know, traditional holiday in times that are anything but regular. And even as a native, from a native standpoint, I'm sure there have been many times that we didn't celebrate a midwinters because of a plague or a war or, or, you know, some sort of pestilence. So it's time for us to, uh, you know, to be more responsible. That's my ask. I want to thank you for listening. And again, I want to thank my grandson for having joined me today. We'll see you next time. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.